You're listening to Fox on the Wire Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of Fox on the Wire. We have a very, very, very special guest today, Ashley Naylor. Welcome to Fox on the Wire. Thanks for having me, Craig. It's good to be back. Yes, I should say welcome back to Fox on uh, the Wire. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks for the invite, mate. I'm very honoured. Always great to have you on. Um, so we're here today not to talk about you or myself, but we're here as a little tribute for uh, Jeff Beck, who passed away on January 10th uh, at the age of 78. So just thought I'd get you on um, as one of my favourite guitar players, one of Australia's best guitar players, uh, to talk about one of the all-time best guitar players. Uh, guitar virtuoso and English rock titan Jeff Beck has died at the age of 78 after suddenly contracting bacterial meningitis and he peacefully passed away on January 10th. So he's one of those guitar players that have been there, you know, through every decade, through every generation, uh, doing different things. Do you remember when you sort of first came across Jeff Beck? Well, I would have I would have heard the Yardbirds in my teens. I would have heard them probably around 85, 80. Actually, probably my first exposure was the Arms concert in 83 that was on telly and it, had, um, it was in honour of Ronnie Lane and um, raising money for multiple sclerosis. And on that bill was Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood, Charlie Watts, Simon Phillips, Bill Wyman, Ray Cooper, it was just an absolute Andy Fairweather Low, an absolute um, roll call of British rockers, and so I, I, I was a was and a massive Jimmy Page fan. So seeing Page, Clapton, and Beck on stage together was quite a rarity, and that was probably when I first got an insight into his style and, and how different it was from Eric's and how different it was from Jimmy Page. You know, mm. so that was my and then then getting into Yardbirds, and then later in my twenties getting into Jeff Beck group. The album Truth and um, that sort of, you know, retrospectively I sort of realised that that was a precursor to Zeppelin, mm. you know, the, the first Zeppelin album, that sort of power, that kind of power trio with a vocalist that Jeff Beck had uh, set up with Rod Stewart and, and, um, and Ron Wood. So, yeah, in my teens and early 20s I first got my head around it. Then I, I sort of grew to realise that he was a bit of a, um, a bit of a lone wolf because he never really attached himself to any band as such. He'd always create a, a new project for his new sort of um, style, whatever that might be, yeah, moving into the jazz stuff and jazzy kind of rock in the mid-70s. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't know a whole lot about Jeff Beck, uh, sort of researching for this episode because I wanted to pay a tribute to him and his career. Uh, but there's so much history with someone like Jeff Beck and like I said, it goes through all the decades, all the way back to the Yardbirds where, you know, Clapton and Jimmy Page were all there and then they all sort of sprouted off into different things. Um, there was a nice little tribute from uh, Brian May from Queen. He posted uh, a video on his YouTube channel and I'll just, I'll just quote something that he said that I thought was really, really nice. He said, Jeff was completely and utterly unique, a kind of musician which was impossible to define. He couldn't really pick up, oh, sorry, you couldn't really pick up a guitar when Jeff was in the room. Um, 
Brian May, he spoke of the Yardbirds song Shapes and Things and how the solo jumps out and sort of takes off like a, like a space rocket. Um, no one had heard such a thing at that time. Uh, he didn't know if it was a sitar or what it was. Um, and Jeff apparently said that solo was totally off the cuff. Uh, in Guitar World in 2009, Jeff said, I remember there was a mass... Sorry, I remember there was mass hysteria in the studio when I did it. They weren't expecting it. It was just some kind of weird mist coming from the east out of the amp. Uh, so, yeah, it was obviously, you know, back at that, what was that, late 60s? Yeah, about uh, 66, 67, yeah. Yeah. Some and of I, the- and I concur with Brian May wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I actually do shapes of things in Marshmallow Overcoat. We've been doing it oh, cool. since about 2014 and... You don't sort of think about it when the person's still alive and playing. You don't think that every time you're playing it, you're paying homage to them. But now that that person has passed on, it takes on a new a new meaning now. But yeah, like that almost like you said, that Middle Eastern kind of um, flavor to it, like in the um, Heartful of Soul as well. Like uh, his licks in that, are like the real fuzz tone and not traditional blue scales, really melodic and you know like. Like Brian May alluded to, that Middle Eastern kind of scale. But um, it, it says a lot when you've got someone like Brian May paying tribute to you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You're not, He's I think one of they, the masters. They grew up uh, in a similar area or in the same area or something like that. I think Jeff was a bit older, but yeah, he was sort of talking about that. Um, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of those, uh, like Tony Iommi and um, Jimmy Page and I think, or maybe it might have been Richie Blackmore, a lot of those, those players all sort of grew up in a similar part of London and it's, it's astonishing to think they all became sort of superstars in their own way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like what B.B. King once said. He goes, I don't have those notes on my guitar. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought, it's so simple, but it's like that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I think uh, Johnny Depp might have quoted Jimmy Page saying, um, there's guitar players, then there's Jeff Beck. Because, <laughs> mm. I mean, yeah. I've, been de- I've been going on a bit of a deep dive in the last couple of years, and um, coincidentally, I listened to Blow by Blow two days before he passed away, and I was in a, oh. a, 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 a rent-a-car, <laughs> a rent-a-car, and had a CD player in it, which is so, such a novelty, and I took a fistful of CDs. <laughs> I was driving back from Gippsland, it's like, I put on Blow by Blow, and I, was listening, I listened to every note of it, it's like, that was like a you know, an album that was in the Billboard Top 100. Like it's an instrumental album, full of a lot of jazzy rock jams and really groovy stuff, and and pretty much a, a guitar record. And it's great to think that a record like that could sort of reach a wider audience, you know. And and that it's a testament to the fact that he was his own his own person, and he wasn't bound by being in a band or having to sing songs, you know. Yeah, it seemed like he was pretty free. Or he kept himself pretty free over the years to sort of do what he wanted and not be tied down yeah, that's by anything. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, mate. He kept himself free. <clears throat> and that's when you watch some of that stuff like the Ronnie, live at Ronnie Scott's when he's doing A Day in the Life and that kind of thing, it's, it's a virtuoso, but there's also a little bit of, there's a bit of a wild element to his playing, mm. which is probably a throwback to his 60s style. And I appreciate that because, I mean, we can all sort of uh, marvel at people's dexterity and their um, – proficiency on the guitar, but he had a bit of everything. He had the, he had the technique, but he also had a little bit of that wildness that um, it sort of set him apart a bit from some of the other virtuosos, I think. 
Yeah, I think Rick, uh, Rick Beato, I've been watching a few of his videos lately on Jeff Beck, and I think it was actually one that he made before Jeff died. I think he'd just seen him in concert again and maybe got to meet him for a brief moment, but he basically he did a video on Jeff Beck and why he's uncopyable. Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> I, I thought that was uh, that was really awesome, and he just sort of, I mean, just watching Rick's reaction to watching Jeff play in this little clip on stage and I'm like what the hell is he doing like he was improvising but he was never he was never lost or looking for notes you know what I mean that's right yeah total command of the fretboard and as you probably noticed watching stuff like it it sort of morphed into the finger style playing over the years and on the strat having the ability to pick and and utilize his volume pot as well to get that swell like and combining it with the tremolo arm, it just created this beautiful, unique kind of crying sound. And um, yeah. he really sort of, you know, that in the last 10 or, I don't know, probably since the 80s, I think that was probably his signature kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I've watched all that Rick Beato stuff, and I love it when Rick gets amped up about something. <laughs> yeah, yeah he was real, real passionate about it. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's like the perfect guy to, to watch uh, critique other other musicians and i i kind of wanted to get you on as well because there was something rick mentioned uh he he said about jeff he said the sound of the guitar is in his hands and yeah like you sort of hear that um that being mentioned you know the sound of the guitar is in your hands and i thought maybe i could mention that to you and you could sort of try and explain what people mean when they say something like that Okay, that's yeah. a very very timely. You should should mention that because I did a gig last night with the Sunny Boys and Jeremy Oxley, the lead singer of Sunny Boys, plays in a similar style. He doesn't have any pedals on the floor, mm. straight through the amp, and any attenuation he needs to create is purely on these volume pots and his tone pots and his pickup selector. And and Jeff Beck for me is that kind of player where you never see him stomping on the floor looking. Yeah, apart from that BBC footage in the mid-70s where he goes through his pedals, he's only got three pedals. But in the more recent stuff, it is pretty much in his hands. Like it's the volume pot, the tremolo, and the finger style. Because when you've got you – know, he's obviously developed such great control and mm-hmm. you know, he used to have that little bit of chalk on stage to keep his hands nice and dry. And ah. um, Yeah, look, I watched quite a bit of stuff recently and, and it's – it's all about the notes. It's not about creating crazy sounds from the floor, you know, and, and I'm guilty of that all the time. I, I step on pedals left, right and centre, mate. But um, th- I think that's the key, the touch, having that touch and, and the mm. feel. And, you know, like I said, there's a bit of there's something raw about his playing, but it's because he's in such a command of the, the fretboard, he, he, he sort of always finds the right note. <laughs> Yeah, and, and his phrasing as well, like uh, Rick was talking about his phrasing, like he never has a bad phrase um, and it kind of makes him very unique and uncopyable. Like I've, the few clips I've watched of late, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anyone sort of play like that and be yeah. in such control while seemingly uh, improvising as well. Well, that's right. And um, the other factor is in a lot of his instrumental stuff, he was the only guitar player in that lineup. So for mm. on his more recent years, it was a four-piece band where he was the only guitarist. So 
he doesn't have to sort of compete for that sonic territory that a lot of other guitarists might have to compete for in a rock group or you know so with his with his music his guitars front and center and it's it's more dynamic i think because he can um you know give it the, the requisite light and shade and um I know what Rick means as being uncopy. I think most great guitarists are uncopyable, but he he was so expressive that it's, it's like trying to copy a Jimmy Page. Like you can kind of copy it a bit, but it's just the idiosyncrasies of their playing that makes it impossible, pretty much. Yeah, I think I, I went down when I was growing up. I went down the the Jimmy Page road more than probably the Jeff Beck road, not for any reason in particular. But I just loved Led Zeppelin. Uh, but I think I think I had one Jeff Beck CD. It was like a not a best of, but like a mix. And uh, I listened to it for a while, but I didn't really go too far into that world. It was uh, it was probably beyond me, really, you know. But now, as a guitar player, you know, a couple of decades later, I can definitely appreciate what he yeah. was doing, um, and just how yeah unique he was, really. Yeah, well, I'm in the same boat as you because I've I've um had Blow by Blow and Truth for quite a while in my collection. But I'm reassessing them now in a light of him passing and just you sort of, you know, have to take stock and look back. And and I think as a teenager I was more fixated on Zeppelin as a band and I loved what Jimmy Page presented in that band. And Jeff Beck, like we were saying before, was a bit of an outlier and he was, um, like you said, he made himself free to do his own thing. So he never really got stuck in any particular groove. Like he had the Jeff Beck group then – Bogart, come on, uh, Beck Bogart, Peach, and then that sort of jazzy period with um, Jan Hammer, and then teaming up with Rod Stewart again in the eighties, and then sort of just constantly, constantly moving around. So it, it's kind of it's a, it's a hard guy to pin down. But um, mm. the sad thing is now that someone, like I said, when they pass, you you sort of have a bit of a look and see, you go back and discover stuff you haven't. Um, haven't come across in the past, but like you said, some of it, I, I can say some of it was probably over my head as well. Like I'm not a huge jazz rock kind of uh, person, but I'm trying to edu- educate myself and get my head around that period of his of his output. You know, mm. I think I was trying to remember where I first came across him. I think it was it might have been the Young Guns soundtrack with uh, Bon Jovi, John Bon yeah, Jovi. Okay. Yeah, he. I don't think he played the whole album, but he played a few of the songs, and now. Well, even back then, you, you could hear how unique the solos in particular, I guess, were, even the tones. Yeah. And um, even more so now that you real that I realised just how unique he was, I can sort of appreciate that even more now. And um, just in regards to the Blow by Blow album, that was actually produced by George Martin. Um, and I think Jeff said uh, someone may... F- some of my favourite solos got trashed because he, George, thought they were hideous, not musical. <laughs> He'd say, that's really the most dreadful noise I've ever heard. And I'd say, that's what I want. But <laughs> I'd usually come round to his way of thinking. George is almost like a dad, relaxed, very focused and on the sound. Uh, and Jeff sort of says that George was probably the best producer that he ever had. So It's wow. uh, a big statement, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just yeah. Be nice to have a George Martin in your corner, wouldn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned you played the Yardbird song "Shapes and Things" in one of your bands, Marshmallow Overcoat. Yeah, we've been doing that for about eight years now, and um, 
now it takes on a new significance that uh, Jeff Beck has passed on. So we'll be playing that one with a couple of other um, Jeff Beck-related tracks on Feb 15 at the Brunswick Ballroom. Cool. And I'll get I'll get out the Telecaster and let rip. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to come down to that one. And uh, are you going to play sort of how he plays with with uh, uh, <laughs> not, or your own the, style? In the spirit of yeah, I, I'm not really good with my fingers, so I'll probably just use a pick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think back in the day he did, he, he, he flitted between both back in the um, 60s. But um, yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll wheel out a fuzz pedal for that one, mate. <laughs> yeah, cool. So Brunswick Ballroom, Feb 15th. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Ash. Um, I know we could talk about someone like Jeff for probably hours and hours, you know, decades, long career and someone as accomplished as Jeff. Uh, so he's he's probably definitely, unfortunately, someone I'm going to dig into after he's gone and appreciate him even more. But uh, I guess that's the beauty of uh, music as well, that it, that it lives on after you're gone. Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So, um, yeah, rest in peace, Jeff Beck, and um, thank you for coming on, Ash. Well, thanks and for having me, mate. It's lovely to chat to you again and um, look forward to seeing you absolutely. live in person. <laughs> yes, I might have to come down on the 15th and uh, check out some of these Jeff Beck tunes. <laughs> absolutely, mate. And see All what fuzz pedal you're using as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get something, don't you worry. Yeah, <laughs> the yard awesome. box. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Go check out some Jeff Beck, and uh, we'll chat to you again soon for another episode of Fox on the Wire. Thank you. Thanks, mate.